Hello friends, this is People Are Interesting with Jan K. In each episode of this show, unique individuals take us on a ride across ideas and places. From crocodile attacks, to homelessness on the streets of London, to shark protection schemes in Mauritania. This podcast takes you where you've never been before. Enjoy and thank you for joining the club. Thank you so much for being here, my friend. It's lovely to see you. <laughs> nice to see you too, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So today we have a very special guest who actually at some point was a refugee, right? Uh, I guess technically, yes, but um, I definitely was from the more, very much more privileged side of uh, the refugee scale. A lavish I, refugee. A lavish refugee, I guess. <laughs> Uh, I escaped the war in Lebanon, but I was able to make my way to France uh, with my parents and my siblings. But mm-hmm. uh, we lived a very good life in France, so and it was very easy for us. But the the escaping was the hard part. When, so maybe let's dial it back a little bit. Mm. When when did, when was that? When you had to run away from Lebanon? Two thousand and six. What happened then? Uh, there was a one, uh, one and a half, one month long war with, war with Israel, mm-hmm. and um, most people stayed in Lebanon during that war. A lot of people left because they thought it would be longer. Right. But um, we left after a few weeks because my sister was very traumatized and was very scared, and my parents thought it would be better to leave, uh, so she wouldn't uh, go through more of it. But um, yeah, we left by car because we missed the the boats that take mm-hmm. you out, uh, the French and British boats. Uh, so we left by car. We went to Syria, and from Syria we took a plane to France. Oh wow! Okay, yeah. so two thousand and six, the war. What what was the what happened? Because you mentioned that it was a short war. Uh, it was kind of a power play by Israel. I'm not exactly sure of the details. I haven't looked into that war too much. Um, but yeah, more like it was not long after the war before that, and they tried to make a bit of a power play. Uh, Hezbollah kidnapped a few Israeli soldiers, and they found that to be a great excuse to mm, to mm. Um, to go and bomb and, and do there. A, yeah. Right, right, right. So you lived in Beirut at the time. Yeah. Okay, so you lived in Beirut. How old were you? Uh, I was, well, six, because right. I'm born in 2000. And uh, so I only remember some flashes, a few like, uh, I don't remember it to be very traumatizing. I'm sure my sister does because she's much older than me and maybe my brother too. But um, I remember it to be something like very actiony and uh, almost like an action movie in real life. Right. Uh, especially when we were in the car and the Israelis were bombing under cars. That was very actiony for me, like as a child, mm-hmm. when we were swerving around trying to like uh, get out of the way of the fighting. Wait, so the war erupts and there are planes, air- aircrafts flying and dropping bombs on Beirut. What's go- what's going on? Modern wars are practically mostly bombing, mm-hmm. uh, and that's pretty much most people's experience of the war. Uh, them being in the basement while bombs are going off up up. Up in the sky, I guess. Right. Uh, 
and they usually bomb the important things like water electricity um and like government buildings for sure stuff like that mm-hmm. and then they go to more civilian stuff but uh in that very short war there weren't a lot of casualties not a lot of uh, civilian casualties but um but a lot of people were afraid that it was going to be like the civil war uh like somewhere like much worse so they did leave a lot of people left during that war so the war erupts you stay in beirut for a couple of days wow you, yeah, you shelter in the in the in, in your cellar or what uh, are you doing we actually had already moved to paris because the situation wasn't great and we were moving back to lebanon and then the war were erupted like mm-hmm. while a few months into us moving back to lebanon the war erupted so we had to leave again um so, so we left and we lived in paris a few more years and then i went back to lebanon to live for a, a bunch of years as well mm-hmm. until like the end of high school um but yeah so yeah we went for a few months it was the summer uh we're like having a nice summer in lebanon and the war erupted uh it was very dramatic very uh like both sides were to blame mm-hmm. especially the the hasbullah and mm-hmm. um yeah but it ended very fast it ended very fast uh we didn't go back though my parents didn't want to risk it anymore yeah yeah but but i'm just really curious about specific details of literally all you know what was going on almost like minute by minute so um the the war erupts oh what is it like going then like oh, do you like have what any do we do when the war yeah do you have yeah. a protocol do you have like backpacks Everyone packed goes, yeah. what people what people do because there was war in lebanon in but like the 90s before. right yeah way before yeah um people usually hoard banks whenever there are any kind of crises so they try and take out as much cash as they can in case the banks erupt right uh they take in as much like you know long lasting food as possible mm-hmm. nappies all that kind of stuff and then we all go to the basement and we wait mm-hmm. it's very org- well, organized and disorganized at the same time because you got to keep living life but you got to also um you know uh protect yourself so right basements were the big thing we, everyone like most buildings in Lebanon have really large basements mm-hmm. um we have a very very large basement in our building uh where now now it's been turned to a gym because we're not using it for work but like uh usually it's a basement huge basement so that people can protect themselves mm-hmm. um and yeah that's pretty much what happens usually there's lots of bunkers some bunkers you know um there's actually a bunker in Lebanon that uh a few years after this war has been turned into a nightclub because it wasn't used anymore mm. very very big bunker that's now a nightclub it's actually a little fun fact and uh yeah but minute by minute i guess it's mostly you go to the basement and you wait 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 a lot of people The civil war was much worse so a lot of people have long stories of what they used to do in those basements during the civil war. People would compete as to how much they could read or stuff like that like like little children would like find fun games. Um but honestly people were living life the civil war was 15 years so people had to live their life. The the other war the 2006 one wasn't as bad so people were still living. Um, right. Yeah. 
I actually have a funny bunker story as Go well. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when I went, well, I went to Russia and there mm. is quite close to bo the border with Kazakhstan. Mm. There is this city called Samara. And when in, two, in the Second World War, when the Nazis attacked, you know, Soviet Union, yeah, the 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 top guys from the Communist Party they needed, they basically dug in complete secrecy a, a special bunker for Stalin in case Moscow Whoa. Moscow f falls to the Nazis, and I went to see it. It's 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 a obviously for for quite a long time they they didn't tell anyone that it's there. Yeah, because um, imagine. You know, a country like Soviet Union was in a pretty bad spot at some point yeah. in, the, in the World War Two, right? They mm -hmm. thought they thought that they actually might lose the war. So, if if the nation and the soldiers who were fighting would find out that, you know, the leading guy, the leader, dug himself a really nice and deep bunker far away from Moscow in case you know shit hits the fan. I I don't know how how brave they would be still, you know, fighting and standing up to Nazis. Yeah. So they didn't tell anyone. <laughs> but now there is this bunker. It's a tourist attraction. And it's, it's hilarious. You can buy badges with, like, face of Stalin on it. <laughs> there are all the kinds of um, um, memorabilia with Stalin himself, which is, Whoa. you know, nowadays you don't really see that. It's basically yeah, yeah, like you would really, have, yeah. like, a, a, a cap with, like, face of Hitler. Yeah, yeah, but like it, there, it's it's not it's not perceived as something weird or it's anything smart. like that. Yeah, it's just tourists. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, that's yeah. Crazy. I mean, it's so crazy. yeah, I mean, but also you know, probably a lot of a lot of Russians still think Stalin was a great guy. You know yeah. that he was like he was cruel, yes, but yeah. he was also a great guy. Yeah, like yeah. he was like a you know statesman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's even very... good for their country. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. He won the war. Yeah. You know, only 20 million people died yeah, in the yeah, process. Just, yeah, just... Most of them civilians. I mean, yeah. to be fair, like a lot of them was fatalities of like Nazis atrocities, right? But a Sarvation. lot of... Uh, yeah, probably. Sarvation, yeah. Uh, surely, for sure. Yeah. But if we're talking about starvation, mm. have you heard about the great um, fam famine in... Ireland? No, oh, that no. no in Ukraine in the thirties. Have you heard about that? No, no. So it's they, it's an, the communist engineered a huge, uh, short, um, lack of food in Ukraine, and I want to say that few million people died. Wow. Yeah, it was. It's it's one of the one of the most gory things ever. Yeah. yeah, yeah, because they were trying to take um collectivize uh, farmers in ukraine because ukraine has very fertile soil so mm. you can um grow crops really well there mm -hmm. but traditionally before communism you would have a lot of private private farmers and okay. obviously when communism came they wanted to take the land from them and turn it into like those industrial farms where nobody owns anything Oof. And obviously, so the owners would um, would turn would be like, no, 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 like we we won't have any of any of this. And so they would be hiding crops and stuff like that underground, like they would dig holes. Mm. And so the so the Soviets were like, okay, that's how you want to play. 
let's play this game. So they like starved everyone there. Whoa. It was horrible. It was horrible. That's really horrible. Yeah. 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 It was a... Yeah. It was when starvation is a weapon of war, it's messed yeah. up. Yeah. Yeah. But I think in Ireland, they, you know, they, they killed like one million people as well. Yeah. yeah they killed... Yeah, it was pretty bad. Died. Yeah. Yeah. But that's oh, true. You know, they... 100%. They don't, I think Irish, like sometimes I spoke to Irish and they refer to this as genocide, you know, to, the, wow. to, yeah, to what happened in Ireland, That's like true. that yeah, the, yeah. the British basically, yeah. um, you know, killed like Star, yeah. a lot of, a lot of big, Star big them out. yeah, exactly. So, you know, it's yeah. a bit unfortunate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, but sorry, it's just. You know, we started with a bunker, the story. bunker story. Yeah, yeah. The bunker story, and so people were go kind of going back to the war in Lebanon. So people were. So first, let's say your family, you would stay in the in in your basement for a while. Yeah. And then you made a decision: we need to move. What What was the what you know why why you decided not to just stay in the basement? Mm -hmm. Why you decided to get go out? Because I would imagine it's quite dangerous, right? To if there is war, bombs bombs are falling. It's quite dangerous, to, like take your family and leave so mm. um i think like sorry i'd say everyone reacts differently to war and bombs and listening like hearing them a lot of people i wouldn't say get used to it but uh take it like are able to digest it like better during the during during the war my sister did not she cried every single time there were bombs and she was she was old it's not like a child she was she was really 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 scared and after a few weeks of that my parents decided to leave because um like it was really really traumatizing her uh but if if my sister wasn't feeling that way we probably would have stayed because that's what mm. like unless you're leaving with the boats with the french and british it's usually better to just wait it out uh, until it's safe to go and it was not safe to go uh, as you like because we, we were almost like yeah pretty much bombed right uh, so you so you, know. you make a decision to go you yeah you get in the car take us, yeah. oh, okay so you hired someone to drive you yeah yeah okay. someone we knew but mm. um like a driver right uh, who knew the way really well and who was willing to take the risk for a bunch of money right so uh yeah we we, we decided to take the risk and so where did you have to drive uh, to Syria so how far is it from Beirut um, I can't tell you exactly I think oh I don't know like um, maybe 60 kilometers or oh okay that's not, it's far not very at all. long it's like it's only a few hours I mm -hmm. think maybe yeah it's a few hours it's not right. very long probably more than 60 but like it's it's only a few hours um and uh but there's only one road that takes you to mm -hmm. damascus right uh at least one main road that takes you to damascus and um the Israelis knew that of course okay so they had people there um uh trying to blow up cars that were trying to escape kind of thing to like uh to like scare people i guess but uh, we didn't get blown up but so there would be soldiers yeah just blowing up like the, a truck next to us got blown up what do you mean next to you like uh driving like in front of us got blown up and we had to swerve to like like uh really of, yeah 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 
That's insane. Yeah, yeah, it's very like action movie-ish kind of thing. But um, I don't remember it as being traumatizing for myself, but that's because I was six and I guess my parents were trying to make it not traumatizing for me. But my sister, I think, my sister, for example, really hates Lebanon. She's never lived there. She's never wanted to live there. And uh, yeah, by the time I started living there, she was already in university. And she never, want, like, whenever we go to Lebanon, she stays one, two weeks maximum and she leaves. Wow. She really does not like after, Lebanon. After what happened? Yeah, she thinks it's horrible that the people there are horrible. Oh. She really doesn't like it, yeah. Mm, interesting. Mm. But I love it. I love Lebanon, yeah. Fair. Yeah. So, there were, you were driving to Syria mm. and they were, you know... Um, what was what is it like an RPG yeah, just or RPG, something? Yeah, Jesus like, Christ! Cars, I guess. So you could, you could. I don't see. know if they were actually RPGing civilians. Probably, probably, hopefully not. But like, um, yeah, they were just blowing up some cars just to like scare people away, kind of. Thing. Why? Why? Do you know why would they want to do that? That sounds so crazy. I think it's like kind of like a, how what would you call it? Like psychological warfare? Yeah, kind of like that, you know, like, of course, they're not going to kill a lot of people doing that, but like, uh, because at some point someone looks at it and they're like, oh, there are RPG cars, maybe I shouldn't go. Oh, wow. But like, um, I think, yeah, more like psychologically, like, you're trapped kind of thing. Yeah. So, yeah. luckily, you drove to Syria, you went to Damascus or? Uh, yeah, Damascus. Um, and uh, from there we took a plane. There it's very, it was very peaceful. Back in the back day, then, back then, back then, Damascus, like little Syria did, was the safe haven back then. Yeah. Little did they know they only have five more years of that. Yeah, yeah. Little far, did they yeah. know. Now they escaped two hours. Yeah. Right. But now it's better, a bit better. But um, is is there a lot of Syrian refugees in Lebanon? Now, yeah, these days? yeah, a lot of Syrian refugees in Lebanon. Because they mostly went to Turkey, right? I, I think uh, Turkey and Jordan. Mm. Uh, Germany, mm. those uh, who those who made it. To Not Germany. in the UAE or Saudi Arabia. Mm. No, yeah. No yeah, they there. don't take them. No, they don't take them. They pay, but they don't take them. Mm. Yeah. So they pay for them to stay, like in Jordan. Or yeah, somewhere. yeah. They pay like charity stuff. Oh, I see. Like just to to be nice, I guess. But no, they don't. Interesting. Uh, I don't know. I think it's mostly just because, uh, like, of a superiority complex with the government. Like they really? think they're better. Really? Yeah, I think so. I don't know, but they didn't take anyone, so I'm guessing like they have some kind of problem because they have a huge country and they don't want to take anyone. Or they already have enough of uh, laborers from Bangladesh. Yeah, they can't. I take... guess so. Yeah, I, have, I guess they have <laughs> enough laborers. Right? Yeah. There's a lot in Turkey actually. A the lot Syrians. of Syrian refugees in yeah. Turkey. A lot of them working in farms and like uh, hazelnut farms. Because I think when when they. Are they can they work there legally, Syrians? Do you uh, know well, anything about them? I mean, wherever there isn't that much order, you can work illegally. So Lebanon, Turkey, Jordan. Yeah, fair. Yeah, you can definitely work illegally. Yeah. Fair, fair. That's very interesting. Yeah. Well, because we, you said something that I find interesting, which is, are there within Middle East and all the Middle Eastern states, are there is there a hierarchy? Because uh, how do you, how do you, you know, like, let's say in Europe, yeah. right? I am from Poland and basically it's mostly like economic development, how much money you have, you know, like 
people in let's say the west of europe will be like all oh, those people from like polish plumbers or, or polish yeah. you know romanian waiters stuff yeah. like that like they just come here and you know they're not well, obviously not everyone but like to oversimplify it the way it works is you know within europe there are you know different stratas right yeah. there is a hierarchy um, of countries is there a similar thing in middle east i think definitely there's a social hierarchy in the middle east yeah uh, yeah i think definitely the uae and saudi arabia qatar kuwait they all kind of um, go higher they have that oil money they have the oil money exactly yeah and they manage to use it right mm-hmm. uh, i mean algeria has a lot of oil money but you don't see them as high as um you know yeah yeah or libya libya has a lot of oil money but they were so corrupt with a complete insane yeah that it didn't yeah. work out you know although i heard obviously i i don't know that much about it but mm. i heard that it was better during gaddafi yeah a lot of people there say w- that yeah, yeah, yeah there was like yeah. farm I, I mean obviously uh, whatever you would say it was always better because now that the country doesn't function anymore yeah, right yeah. so it's the same case with Syria. Like, was it better before 2011? Probably. But, yeah. you know, you can only judge it. Like, it's easy to judge from the hindsight. Like, yeah. you know, it, the idea was good. Like, let's introduce democracy and stuff like that. Mm. So let, but let's but, try to make it even better. Yeah, but in Syria now, the president has won the war. Yeah. Yeah. So, right. So he's back. Yeah. yeah. It's like he's like a super villain, right? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. He's For like, me, he is, yeah. He, he is, like... Definitely, for he, most people, he has. Yeah. He could be like a book villain. Yeah, no, hundred percent, he could be. Yeah. Have you heard? And a lot of people support him blindly. But yeah. is it because he's an Alawi? Uh, so I think as part of it is because he's an Alawi, but a part of it is a, it is a like very toxic like culture in the Middle East of following the big strong guy kind of thing. Oh know? really? Yeah, I think it's a huge thing. Like whoever can protect you and provide, you follow them blindly. You don't even care what they do. It's, You'll follow them blindly. it's so hilarious that he is an ophthalmologist. Yeah, he's very intelligent, the guy. He studied here. He's very, very Oh, yeah, he, yeah he studied he didn't in London. He want to be president. Right. Yeah, but then he became president. Then he became a dictator. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, now he's a horrible human being that rules the country. Yeah. Well, he learned from his dad, haven't he? He learned from his dad, <laughs> yeah, I guess so. <laughs> Yeah, he really, he really messed, like, he, he's really messed up, the guy. Yeah, um, well, but, well, in a way, it's, he probably wouldn't be there if not for Russia, I don't know who else supports him, Iran, I don't know if... They, yeah, I guess, um, yeah, a lot of people support him, Russia, because they have a naval base in Syria. Yeah. Yeah, Iran, because, yeah, uh... Are they, are, is the, you know, the Shia Muslims in Iran a kind of in cahoots with the Alawis and because it's like correct me my understanding of this surely isn't perfect but Alawis are like a sect like a part of are mm, what what are they they're uh oh how can I what do I call they, so would they're they a type be like, of Muslim just like, like Shia and Sunni, and Sunni right yeah okay but they are closer to to Shia rather than Sunni right Oh, that I'm not sure. Actually, I'm not. I don't know anyone Alawi, so I wouldn't know for sure what like religiously how how close they are to anything. Okay. 
but um, yeah, they're a minority in Syria. Yeah, like a total minority, yeah, they're right? A very it's like five percent. Yeah, like yeah, 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 two to five percent. Yeah, and uh, but they rule Syria. Right. But I don't think they all follow Assad, mm. especially after everything mm-hmm, is done. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's mostly people who wanted money and dollars who follow Assad, and the rest don't. Yeah, I mean, I mean, everyone in Syria has lost someone to the war, and it's probably because of the Russians or Assad, you know, yeah. not because of the revolutionary. Yeah. Yeah. But it's actually pretty interest. It's an interesting mosaic, you know, what's going on in the Middle East in the mm. sense that. Imagine. Obviously, it might be a fairly selfish point of view to like try to convert everything into like how it is in Europe, but it's yeah. mostly because like you know I only know Europe yeah. quite well, let's say, because I lived here, you know. So I'm just trying to imagine how it would work in Europe if, let's say, German Lutherans, you know, ones let's say who live in let's let's even begin that nobody in in Europe is that religious anymore. Yeah. But but it would be like you know, a, a, a German Lutherans hate, let's say, um, Anglicans or something mm-hmm. like that. And they want to, like, kill each other. Uh-huh. It, like, it, it, it's so interesting that in the Middle East... There's you, such a divide? Along those lines, right? Because yeah. ar- arguably you have one, one divide, which is... Is there actually even, in your opinion, a divide? Like, is is there such thing as nation state in the Middle East, or it's it it has never really caught on? It's more still like tribes and religion, what sect you belong to, what kind of. I think no. There's definitely different countries in the Middle yeah. East, and they de- like definitely believe of like in the different countries, um, the different sects and tribes. Um, I think different religions are the big thing. Shiaans, so mm. um, that's a big thing because you know, like Saudi Arabia is mostly Sunni, Iran yeah. is mostly Shia, and they right. fight all the time. But to be honest, in Lebanon, a lot of people are Shia, a lot of people are Sunni, and they don't fight all the time. Only people in the Hezbollah fight with everyone, like a lot of people, and like some really intense Sunnis fight with with the Hezbollah. You know, so I- like, yeah. Militia people fight, but not not just religious normal people. Religion is beautiful and peaceful. Um, militias are horrible and violent, mm. and they use religion as an excuse. Mm-hmm. But what I'm what I'm kind of trying to figure out is, you know, let's say in Poland, the national identity mm. is largely built around the the statehood. You know, the mm. state, the the shared history, the shared language stuff like that and say same in the uk same with france um but in in the middle east let's say what is national identity built around in lebanon what is it i think people at least people who still love lebanon because of everything that's it's done to them now but like people who like deep in their hearts still love their country mm-hmm. i think they're really proud of lebanon and and all the history it's got and you know like everything that's happened and how they've survived and how Lebanon I think it was on some kind of um, a top 10 in the UN stuff or something but it was uh, the country that can sustain and rebuild the fastest you know like, oh really yeah like after 2006 they rebuilt in a year 
after the, the civil war, they rebuilt instantly. They rebuilt so fast. You know, they can get through so much. Like, mm-hmm. they're very tough. But, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a country that's gotten a lot of unfair deals, you know? Right. I mean, um, after the civil war, the deal that stopped the civil war, um, people thought it was a bit messed up, but also good because it stopped war. But now it started a new problem, you know? Like the financial crisis and the 2006 war, these were all kind of like, these all started after the civil war, if, like if that makes sense to you. Like the deal they made after the civil war was to give each one of the big generals of, the, of those militias a part of Lebanon. Mm-hmm. And like, but they just have to give back, their, give the weapons away. Like, yeah. but, but some of them didn't, some of them kept their weapons. Right. Uh, the Hezbollah kept their weapons. So um, what what each party got in... You mean money, like a geographic part of the country, literally? Or they like, run yeah, different like parts they run, of the country? They run like... They got, they got power in the government and they kind of run different parts of the country without like not... You won't see it, but if you run a business in a part of it, you'll have to pay a tax to that person, you know? Oh, really? So like, yeah, it's... Uh, it's very there is a lot of a sect thing going on with without you ever having to identify with it you know yeah so yeah a lot of people have i mean for example the biggest university in lebanon uh, aub very very big it's an american university of beirut mm. they have um they have elections every year you know just like us with the student union yeah they have kind of the same thing, except that it's political parties that are that are running, actual like Lebanese political parties that run. Right. And whoever wins is like the political party who won. Like it's a mini Lebanon and and like the biggest university in Lebanon, um, and uh, it's weird, you know. It's very weird, like the power that those political parties have, even in education, which is supposed to be, you know no religion involved no no politics you know but no it's it's everywhere yeah um how the how does how does that manifest itself in daily life um i think there are ways you like for example you can't there's different colors you shouldn't be wearing because they might represent a specific political party different areas you shouldn't go to because they're dangerous what sense they are dangerous some of them like for example an area that's very close to like a palestinian refugee camp the palestinian refugee camps have a lot of weapons and it's a tiny bit dangerous you know if you're wearing something too fancy or something like that Mm -hmm. um you don't want to go to a hasbollah shia area because you know you don't know them you, you they don't know you um but of course like you can do it there is no like actual like border and everyone's like no stop this is this is not an area for you but it's like uh if you want you want to be careful about those things you know you want to know where you're going the parts of lebanon um there's a lot of poverty you know like uh, it's it's getting worse as well with the financial crisis a lot more theft a lot more you know um but you know i i personally am surprised it hasn't turned violent uh, and other countries in the Middle East, yeah, like I know, I'm sure you've heard like of the Arab Spring and whatever, like it's always turned violent, but in Lebanon it hasn't turned violent, and p- 
people have a lot of weapons just in eat baklava and dance on the street yeah <laughs> but people people are patient you know they're they nothing's happening and still people are not didn't turn violent and it's a very good thing you know like if it does turn violent it will go into complete chaos with all the different militias and political sects uh, like who are you fighting if you fight you know it's not one dictator it's 12 political sects that, that rule the country you know and one gigantic militia from Iran mm -hmm. so like I guess you can't actually be violent against anyone specific because you don't know who who's actually like yeah too mm -hmm. many people are ruling the country. Wait, so in a nutshell, mm. would you be able to or try to explain how this division works? Who Who is who? Oh, no, there's too many. It's a bit hard in a nutshell, but like, um, there's a bunch of very powerful politicians, a bunch of a bit less powerful politicians. They each have their own like political sect. Uh, in the civil war, they were actual militias that fought against each other. Some of them Christian, some of them Muslim. Different parts of Christianity, different parts of Muslim, like Islam. Okay, so, so Shia, Sunni, uh, Christian, Maronites, whatever. Like, yeah, like it's different parts of everything. Mm -hmm. And they all fought in the civil war. And uh, then the Israelis got involved, the Hezbollah got involved. So everyone gets involved in Middle Eastern wars all the time. But and is it like a religious division? Is how you apportion power within Lebanon? Or is it something else? Is the criteria different? Oh, uh, I think the religious, the, the, the religious division is between Sunni and Shia. But it's only because the political sect that rules the Shia, uh, like in parentheses, is Hezbollah and their militia. And there are many Sunni political sects and many Shia political sects too. Um, like Amal. Amal is another very powerful Shia political sect that pretty much answered to the Hezbollah. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, they're just divided. They're very divided. And um, I think if I have Shia friends, I have Sunni friends, I have Christian friends, we do not care about all of that but once you are radical like a huge like radicalized like person belonging to one political sect then instantly you start really caring what everyone is you know like you start really caring who supports what you know kind of like here i i guess in a way you could compare it to football like you know how uh, here in the uk people support football radically and yes. like sometimes they go as far as not wanting to be friends with people who support the opposing team it's kind of the same but yeah. with political sects and, yeah. and violence I guess yeah well they used to have in the UK I think up until the 90s huge problem with hooligans yeah exactly it's exactly like football hooligans but with, with guns and, and much more violence and uh, much more radicalism <laughs> yeah. wait so is is religious radicalism a problem in Lebanon or would you say it isn't? Uh, I'd say religious radicalism in a, is a problem in the whole of the Middle East, mm. including Lebanon for sure. But I think it's more of a problem in other parts of the, of the Middle East. And I think 
it's more money and politics in Lebanon that's the problem mm. uh, I think it's not it's not religion it's uh, like it's not religious radicalism in Lebanon mostly it's mostly uh, political radicalism really yeah because of course there are like um, I mean you know like there's ISIS and there's that kind of stuff but it's not in, there's attacks sometimes, but it's not actually what's... That's not a problem. Everyone's against them, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, all of those political sects are against that. Um, but, yeah, I guess religious radicalism, I guess, yeah, uh, they use it as an excuse, but it's mostly the political sects with the front of religion, you know? They're, oh, like, they're doing it for Allah, but actually they're not. I see. Because that's not a religion. Islam is beautiful. This is not beautiful, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I see what you mean. And let me just think think how to phrase it. Do you think there's a lot of religion in Poland? Like a lot, a lot of re- religious radicalism in Poland? Fuck yeah. Yeah? <laughs> of course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there is. Um, it's... So Poland is an interesting case because mm. there is a solid argument to be made that during communism church played a vital part in helping the country turn the corner you know yeah it, it was it was important for people on the personal level but also on kind of like a systemic level but after the fall of communism, I feel like something kind of changed. Mm. And it seems now that it's more about power. Yeah. The church w- seems to want to have power, not only maintain what it has, but also expand yeah. the power. And, mm. and the, the ruling party is closely connected to church Mm -hmm. the previous party that was ruling in poland for eight years which was center right Mm. the current party is way more nationalistic slash populistic right wing Mm -hmm. so the previous one wasn't very church affiliated at all yeah but the current one relies on church heavily And it's definitely a case that people in Poland are religious. And that's not a bad thing, you know, because as you said, there is definitely a lot of good values in religion as such, right? Mm. Be help, help the other person. Um, I don't know, be humble. Like I'm completely out of my depth. What yeah. religions are saying to be <laughs> fair, but it's not a bad thing per se, right? No, no. The problem is when, well, it is a little bit of a bad thing because in Poland, church is the main driving force against um, LGBTQ yeah, plus community. Yeah, so this enough. is definitely, and this is strongly attached to religion because apparently, I don't know if that's even the case, somewhere in the you know Bible, you have something against homosexualism. Mm. And so, so this, is, this is definitely bad and it's, it's clearly hindering the development of the society towards more you know inclusive society so Mm -hmm. that sucks because you have you know gay people in whatever society and 
it goes without saying that they should just do whatever the fuck they want mm. and it shouldn't be anyone's business but yeah. in poland it is everyone's business what those people are doing yeah and, all, crazy, and, yeah. and it kind of sucks mm. and and it's not going in a good direction at all Mm-mm. you know mm-hmm. in the sense that the society is becoming more and more divided yeah there is the you know us versus them Mm. and it's not good it's never good yeah yeah but going back to uh lebanon before Mm. you know the explosion in beirut this summer oh yeah there was already a huge financial crisis in lebanon uh it wasn't as big but there was a financial crisis right uh it was starting to get worse uh, but after the bomb, it actually became completely like, like full-fledged financial crisis, you know? Um, now, like, I mean, I'll, I'll say the numbers, but like, um, the dollar was, uh, like, the, the lira was valued at 1,500 to $1. Now it's valued around, like, an average of, like, eleven to 12000 for the dollar. Mm-hmm. which is almost tenfold, like eightfold, tenfold kind of thing. It's huge, um, which means that like, I mean, just shopping for food is super expensive now. Yeah. Like people you have to use like a quarter or half their salary to shop for food, you know? Yeah, because um, what I know from my personal reading is that Lebanon is extremely dependent on importing food yeah, and, and yeah. importing everything, basically. Mm. So obviously yeah, 80% of everything that's sold in Lebanon pretty much is imported. <laughs> really? So it's imported and yeah, like why would you guys not produce anything? What's what's we're the very pro- small country. What's the problem? We're but you also don't have a lot of people, country, right? Uh we Do you, don't have yeah, we only have like four million. Do you not have uh, fertile Lebanon. soil and like everything? What's I the guess problem? there's just not enough space as well, you know? Like it's a very small country. Um I mean the with a super corrupt government that doesn't allow you to do anything pretty much um steals your money like never invests in good infrastructure for that kind of stuff right uh so at the end of the day you know people were trying to just survive on what they had uh and live a good life Mm -hmm. but with that kind of financial crisis no one can live a good life you know like now 50% of the population is under the poverty line and needs aid, you know, like that, that was not the case like 10 mm-hmm. years ago, you know, that, and, and, and Lebanon's golden age in the sixties, everyone was like doing really, well. really, yeah. What like, was, it was why? Switzerland of the Middle East. Lebanon. That, that's what you were calling yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now why were you yeah. doing so good? Um, I think I actually don't know why it was so good in the sixties. I think it was modernizing, you know, it was kind of like Afghanistan before the war, like really doing well, you know, building, like modernizing, having a lot of tourism. Uh, It was just doing plain good, you know, Lebanon has so much, so much potential, you know, Mm -hmm. history. It has so much history that can bring in tourism. It has a lot of good soil that can do beautiful things like olives and, and bananas and all kinds of stuff. Right. Uh, the sea, you know, that could bring in to a lot of tourism, fishing, I guess, as well. Um, I yeah, actually lots of stuff. I actually heard that in Beirut, there is a huge problem with drinking water because after the civil war or the 
Mm. One of the wars, they they have built those tanks for drinking water, but they've built them too close to the to the sea, so yeah, that so so the so, yeah so the salty water is seeping through somehow. No one drinks tap water in Lebanon. So uh, you need to buy drinks, bottled water. Yeah, you drink only bottled water. Really? Yeah, yeah. There can is you no wash? But can you wash yourself? The tank there. But you can take a shower. Yeah, yeah, and it's cleaned water when you take a shower. Like it's you can't drink the water. You take a shower, and like it's, it's not not good. Uh, but yeah, no people take a shower with the water that's provided. Um, uh, but even sometimes, sometimes people like a lot of the time now, with all of that stuff happening and and a lot of problems with the water. People don't take a water with the water that's provided people get water to like given to their building like in trucks like trucks come really fill up the building's tank oh and wow people take shower with that water yeah oh wow yeah yeah no no the water is very bad that sounds super inefficient electricity is really bad in lebanon really so a lot of homes like in the poor areas almost don't have electricity like three four hours a day mm-hmm. uh, it keeps getting cut all the time the government provides nothing like, like very very little electricity uh well they provide some for some areas and very little for other areas and so people buy generators to for, to to make electricity and if they have money they can keep it on if they don't um uh, well they can't buy the like petrol and the gas for it yeah. so they can't they can't keep it on so they'd have to live off candles and wait so on one hand you're saying that lebanon is extremely resilient mm. yeah but they're resilient because they're surviving that you know oh right the government is horrible but the people are resilient why is the government horrible they're corrupt they're very corrupt for years they were just stealing money there was even a there was actually a transport tax in lebanon mm-hmm. uh, for trains mm-hmm. but there were no trains We oh. don't have trains in Lebanon. Really? You don't have any no, train no, lines? No, we don't have any train lines. So there was a tax for it that was taking millions of dollars. Mm-hmm. But there was actually no trains. So it was going nowhere. It was going into the pockets of politicians. Same how, with a lot of different things. You know? How is the society not doing anything about it? Well, th- there was a revolution. So the year before last year, there was a revolution. Oh yeah, I almost forgot about it. Yeah, there Wait, was what was going on? What Very peaceful revolution. How did it start? Uh, it started... Actually, funny enough, it started right after there was a WhatsApp tax. That was WhatsApp tax? A WhatsApp, you know WhatsApp. Right? Yeah, of course. So people don't call on the normal line, they call on WhatsApp because it's free, right? Uh, yeah. And, uh, and politicians saw that everyone was using WhatsApp and they were like, wow, now we can put even more money into our pocket. So that's... Let's make a WhatsApp uh, They come tax. up with a WhatsApp tax? They came up with a WhatsApp tax. That's hilarious. And everyone went crazy when that happened. They took it back. They didn't do it. Right. The end. But uh, people went crazy because they'd had enough, you know. Of course, it wasn't the WhatsApp tax that started it. But like, yeah, like the WhatsApp tax was that like final blow that everyone went just crazy on. Right. And the revolution started then. It went on for almost a year. Uh, and then it kind of died down when nothing was happening. Wait, um, so what the revolution was, what was it, what exactly was it? Just a lot of people protesting, okay. almost like every week, every day sometimes. It like, um, it's really big protests, uh, protests everywhere in the world because there are a lot of Lebanese people everywhere in the world. Right. Um, 
but it was all very peaceful. Uh, actually, sometimes politicians themselves hired people to go to the protest and like do chaos, like chaos mm, stuff. Yeah. So they'd stop the protest. Like the police would stop the protest. A classic move, by the way. The cla yeah, Sub classic subversion. move. A lot of stuff. Yeah. Them, you know? yeah, a lot of politicians everywhere in the world. And, um, yeah. Agent I think, provocateur. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they're like, we stopped the protest because it was violent, but they made yeah, it violent, you know? Exactly. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it was really beautiful. Even soldiers were, like, siding on with the, with the, you know, with the civilians, even police sometimes. Um, it was like really great and then it kind of died down slowly because the prime minister resigned which was a huge like win but then he came back oh really yeah huh. he got really like he, he came back really and uh, and you know and then it kind of died down it revived a little bit after the bomb but uh, after the financial crisis no one had the motivation anymore you know Wait, so was the was the revolution a result of the financial crisis or it was a result of the corruption, the finance, the beginning of the financial crisis. It wasn't full on financial crisis when the revolution was happening. Mm -hmm. It was just like a beginning, a bit of a heightened price, mm -hmm. um, stuff going bad, like obviously going bad um, money, just like that government debt, just like the country's debt is, is so high. Right. Much higher than the GDP. Right. And people knew where this was going, you know, like a lot of people. Oh, yes. I think that's so. how it started, right? Yeah. You didn't manage to renegotiate the yeah. paying back of your, of, of your exactly. national yeah. debt. And, and, and oh, yeah. people started uncovering all of the like private stuff from the politicians, mm -hmm. uh, like all of the, where the money was going actually. And obviously, most of the money was going into politicians' personal like accounts, you know, to their pockets, and people were going crazy because of that, you know, like it it was insane to them that yeah. like all of the money was going nowhere, you know. Right. Like yeah, going to those politicians and um, yeah, they wanted everyone gone, like everyone from the old guards, you know, from the civil war times. Yeah. They wanted them all gone. Wait. So if you walk on the street of Beirut, what is it? What is it like? Is it is there huge? You can see clearly huge economic inequality. Is Beirut pretty like so equal? What is going on? So in Beirut, Beirut, central Beirut, uh, you don't see it as much. Mm -hmm. You go towards further away, you'll see it much more. The poverty is super. You can see the poverty. Really, you honestly, see it. What do you see? Just a lot of beggars, a lot of just like. People trying to survive on very little mm -hmm. uh, houses built of plastic, kind of like, like the the typical, like very very the third world kind of just, vibe. Yeah, yeah, uh, but that's more on the refugee camp sides. But like, just like people trying to make it with nothing, kind of thing. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, you just going into a shop, you you talk to someone and they're just depressed. You know, like it's just. Actually, the one thing I felt the most the last time I was there, and that was a year and a bit ago, um, because I haven't been able to go because yeah. of COVID and the of crisis course. and all of that stuff. But the last time I went, it's just, it was so depressing, you know, that people were so, they were angry, but they just didn't have the motivation to be angry and do something about it anymore. 
they were just depressed, really depressed. People in Lebanon are very depressed right hmm. now. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, I mean, how how would you feel? You know, like. Yeah. Uh, there's also the fact that like people save money in banks. You know, saved a lot of money, and now they can't access it. Really. Yeah, there is no money, pretty much. Like all the money they saved is now nothing. Oh, I see. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what yeah, is but, yeah. you've mentioned something that I find quite interesting you've mentioned those refugee cam- camps mm-hmm. what have you ever been to one myself no my brother yes I, I haven't been to one no I've, I've seen many refugees I've worked with many refugees but having been in to in Lebanon camp, no. or in Lebanon and here uh, in Lebanon yeah we we, we would work with them in Beirut, especially during the month of Ramadan. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we'd always do charity runs, just either collecting money or food or clothes, that kind of stuff. But which, which refugees would you, would you help any particular refugees? Or? Uh, a while back, it would be Palestinian. Then it became Syrian, mostly Syrian. Um, there was always so- there's always someone to help in Lebanon. Uh, the Lebanese people, I mean, right. you're helping the Lebanese people a lot of the time as well because of now them being in such a desperate situation. So, I think, uh, yeah, I think it's just sad. It's just very sad there. Which country traditionally Lebanon has good relationship with in the Middle East? Syria. Syria. Mm. Yeah. The closest closest thing like to Lebanon Syria and they had a very very good relationship with Syria is there a big cultural difference between Syria and Lebanon no 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 they're very close uh, culturally yeah very close um, most Lebanese are s- probably like half Syrian you know oh really and same with well Syria is much bigger but a lot of people in Syria are Lebanese or half half Lebanese at least um, so yeah, no, it's very close to Syria, Egypt as well. A lot of a lot of cool stuff with Egypt. Some a bit of Jordan as well, but mm. mostly Syria and Egypt. What about Turkey? Not well. There, there is definitely a sense of Turkey in Lebanon, but not that much. Not mm. as much. Uh, no, it's mostly Syria and Egypt. I was always curious. I feel like we talked about it before, because I'm always very curious about the the dialects because you have yeah you, you have one language everywhere mm. in the middle east right which is arabic i'm yeah. guessing but individual countries have their own dialects is that Definitely, how it works exactly yeah and the dialects a lot of the time like for example between algeria morocco saudi arabia mm-hmm. i wouldn't understand any of them really yeah, like you would very, have very no clue what they're saying i'd have to like really concentrate and they'd have to talk really slow for me to get some of the words they're saying you know hmm um what about the written language no exactly the same news as well if you really? watch the news from saudi arabia or algeria you'll understand everything oh because there's a formal arabic and there's oh. a dialect arabic and how, the formal arabic is the same for everyone how did that because this is such a smart thing yeah it's smart yeah so so politicians right they'll talk in arabic because they talk in formal arabic but how did it came around do you know i'm not sure actually i think just uh just like in Poland, you were talking to me about it, about how like different parts have different dialects. 
It's not exactly like that in no, Poland. How is it in Poland. In Poland, it's more. So in Poland, there would be a few ethnic groups that maybe will have their own dialect here mm-hmm. and there, but it's more like a relic. Okay. It's rather than an actual yeah rather than an actual thing but here in the uk you know there are like different dialects as well i feel you know if you go to manchester people are talking wouldn't you but wouldn't you mean accents like accents yeah oh not different dialects i guess yeah but even in the accents you know there's lots of different words no no that for sure yeah for sure and if they went further if it if it actually like went into like dialect mode kind of thing uh, it would be a different language pretty much yeah but I again agree. like each word of those different words is taken from a word in English if that yeah sense, no? no I yeah. the, well exactly but I find it really interesting do you think it's because you had like an the Osman Empire and stuff like that yeah maybe that, it's that far yeah I think so the, I mean it's, it keeps changing as well you know like slowly it changes and uh, mm. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah, every country has their own dialect. Lebanon has its own different dialect. Different accent. Yeah. And Syria Syria has their own dialect. Like, accent, actually, in the sense. Oh, so you, if you go to Syria, you can understand. I can what understand. Which they other, also have a bit of a different accent. Which other which other countries can you go Egypt. to? Egypt. Yeah, I'll they understand have most of it. Oh, okay. Uh, some of it I won't, because it's a stronger dialect mm-hmm. than Syria. But right. Uh, Jordan, as well, I understand. So basically, the further you go, the harder it the is. Fir- exactly, yeah. The further you go, the harder it gets to understand, yeah. Palestine, I understand everything for Palestine. Mm. They have an accent, like a, a bit of a dialect, but not that much. Aha, uh-huh, I see. Mm. What about Iran? Nothing. Nothing. You Nothing. can't but understand Iran anything. also, they, they speak... Oh, Iran. yeah, they speak like Farsi, Farsi right? Oh, yeah, yeah. right. Completely. Iraq, though, I understand some of it, yeah. Oh. I think Iraq, yeah, they speak in Arabic. So Which I other think. Middle Eastern countries have you visited? I've been to Oman. Oman? Yeah, Oman. What is it like there? Very nice. Where I've been, it's very nice. I, I, I've heard that it's very poor in a lot of places, mm-hmm. but um, at least the capital where I've been was very, very nice. Was very the, clean. What was the capital? I can't remember. I think I'm not even sure anymore. I don't know. I don't know much about Oman. Okay, fair. But I've been to Dubai mm. a few times. Right. Been to Syria uh, during the war. I've been to Egypt. I've Where? Uh, in Egypt. I've been to Cairo. I think I've only been to Cairo in Egypt. That's very beautiful. Really? Well, yeah, I really it's like really it. huge. I have a friend. I'm actually, I think she's going to be on the podcast soon. That's nice. Yeah, because she lived in Cairo for a while. It's beautiful, yeah. It's, it's a huge a city. Culture. 20 million people. Jesus huge, yeah, Christ. Yeah, or yeah. even more, I think. And it's got like almost, I think, I feel like Cairo, like where I've been, and like the, the way my grandfather describes the rest of Egypt. I feel like Cairo has an own, like, a known culture, you know? Like, yeah. Its own, like, I mean, if 20 million like, people live there. Yeah. Like, how many people live in Cairo? Let's see. Yeah, but, like, I, I don't know, like, if you... Yeah, I think some cities have their own culture, almost. Well, if you want to... Nine, ten million people. 
10 million in Cairo. Wow, that's very big. Yeah, but you were you were going somewhere with the cities having their no, own. No, I mean culture. like here in, in the UK even, you know, like you go to a different city and it feels different. Yeah. It feels very different, yeah. Well, I guess you could go from East London to West London it's going to so feel right, very feels different. different. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. They make their own culture in different places, you know. Yeah, have you heard that they in Egypt they want to be they, they're kind of like already doing it, building new capital. No, so, I haven't heard. Yeah, that. so they want to move people away from Cairo because mm. it's too, you know, it's too much. Too busy. Yeah, the infrastructure yeah. is really poor, yeah. and it's hard to make. Apparently, it's hard to improve, so they want to rebuild, mm-hmm. or not rebuild, build a new Under one close to it. Mm. But apparently, it's so expensive to buy mm. anything there that most Cairo people who live in Cairo can't afford anything there that makes sense yeah yeah they built a new uh they built a new part of the Suez Canal oh yeah that was a big thing with with everything happening right now with the Suez Canal yeah uh yeah the president there is is always trying to build new infrastructure what what's his name Abdel Fattah Hassisi oh yeah yeah is he military guy he is a military guy. He's a general. They all are. Which which countries in the Middle East have non-military leader? Ooh, the ones that have royals as leaders. So like oh, yes. Saudi Arabia and right. stuff and UAE. Right. But to be honest, they're almost the same as the military ones because yeah. they're as dictatorial as them. You know. No, um, do you have one? I think Oman is. No, wait. Oman is Oman a democracy. No, I Oman think they has have a, it. has a king as well. Yeah, right, yeah, yeah. I think he died um, recently, actually. He did die, yeah. Now yeah. there's a new guy. Uh, uh, the new one. I'm trying to think. Is there any... And oh, Lebanon, Tunisia. Oh, well, Tunisia. Well. No, in Tunisia you have democracy. Yeah, yeah. Morocco is very democratic as well. Really? Yeah. But you, don't democratic. you have a king there? Morocco? Yeah. Yeah, but I feel like at least your government is pretty... I don't know how, how powerful the king is in Morocco. Mm. I actually don't know much about Morocco. I just thought they, they're more democratic. You don't hear about problems in Morocco. Usually when, when there's a place in the Middle East that has a lot of problems, it's always on the news. Yeah, Yeah. That, um, that's true. I mean, who else? I think... Yeah, no, I think it, they're very li- like there's uh, very little countries that have non non general. Yeah, because like, yeah. they say that Tunisia is the only is the success of the Arab Spring, the only success of the Arab Spring. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Ten years after, they still are kind of like trying to you know be democratic, but economically, I think they are not doing very well economically. No, no, I don't think so. I think. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I don't think I don't think a lot of countries in the Middle East are doing well. It's so weird. Only, yeah. So weird. The only ones are the ones with the royals, the UAE, the Saudi Arabia, Kuwait, Qatar. They're doing okay. Do all Middle Eastern countries have oil? Uh no. Some of them have oil, don't don't dig it. Oh really? Lebanon has they say has oil, like gas. But they can't dig it because they don't know which sec- like political sect wants to go for it. Uh, <laughs> so they keep fighting about it, but they never do it. Um, I think, no, Syria, some oil as well. Syria definitely has oil. Yeah, it definitely has yeah. oil, yeah. Uh, 
No, I think there definitely are Middle Eastern countries without as much oil. Mm. I think the rich, rich like oil-rich countries are Algeria, Libya, Saudi Arabia, and 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 the UAE. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, it was fun. I think we should yeah. wrap it up and have let's some lunch, it. right? Yeah, let's do it. Let's yeah, do it. thank let's you very much for, um, you know, sharing insights about Lebanon. It was so much yeah, fun. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it was and, great. And, you know, you're welcome to come again whenever whenever you you have Would love time. To. Yeah, yeah, I would love okay, to. Okay, awesome. Thank you. Thanks. Bye, everyone. Bye-bye.